Hello, I'm Felix Trench. This is a special episode of Quid Pro Euro called Quid Pro Euro Interviews Crowley Time. Crowley Time is another podcast made by a friend of mine, Tom Crowley, which I think you should subscribe to. And to convince you to do that, rather than just doing a plug at the beginning or end of an episode, I wanted to introduce you to the creator, Tom Crowley. So what I've done is, within the quid pro euro aesthetic, done a bit of an interview with Tom to talk to him about the show and his creative process and how he got to where he is today. And then at the end of this episode, we'll play a clip from his podcast. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, Now, because this is off the regular menu, I can't afford to pay Zach to produce it. That's our Quipro Euro producer. Uh, So I'm doing it all myself. Uh, But I, I reckon I've got a handle on it. Alexa, add eggs to my shopping list. You already have eggs on your shopping list. Alexa, add eggs to my shopping list. You already have eggs on your shopping list. Alexa, add eggs to my shopping list. You already have eggs on your shopping list. Alexa, add eggs to my shopping list. You already have eggs on your shopping list. Alexa, please add eggs to my shopping list. You already have eggs on your shopping list. Alexa, add eggs to my shopping list. You already have eggs on your shopping list. And it should all go smoothly. Here's Quid Pro Euro interviews Crowley time. I was at a book launch in a small, airy shop in the Kreuzberg district of Berlin when I first met Tom Crowley. I knew the author we were watching a little, a rather unhappy woman whose book was a collection of pictures of brightly coloured seaside architecture from the southern tip of Portugal, which she'd photographed in black and white. Crowley had been sent as a representative of the London office of the publishing house, and though his German has always been better than mine... He seemed bored. He is a tall, thin man with very small teeth. My hobbyist interest in the world of modern architectural publishing, an interest I inherited from my uncle who worked for 20 years for National Geographic and who I idolised with his stories of far-off countries and the articles he was sent from them to edit from his office in Musselburgh, meant that Crowley and I had regularly bumped into each other at similar events and cultivated a friendship. The wordy world of buildings is not where he intended to be. Schooled at Sandhurst, he is a military man who retired from duty after losing his foot to an explosive device. He lay delirious in the road, believing he would die until finally the welcome chop-chop-chop of rescue pierced the feverish dreams brought on by the unforgiving heat and sunlight of Sandhurst. Today, he is endlessly cheerful with an enthusiast's approach to life, You might call him a hedonist. Although childless, he is happy. He plays the mouth organ and wears rimless glasses. His latest venture, 
is in the unusual world of sketch comedy. When he told me about it as we shared a taxi to a hotel lobby in Helsinki where we were to enjoy a talk by Tadeusz Heikkinen, the man who set the pace for photographing treehouses, I asked whether he would tell me more. He agreed to a sit-down interview next time we met. Which is how I came to speak with Crowley here in the Café de Luxembourg in Luxembourg City. I can't tell you which one because they're all called that. Tom Crowley, hello. Hello, Felix. What a treat to be here in this Luxembourgian cafe. Isn't it? Now, what have you gone for? I've got a dish of prawns. Uh, well, lovely, I noticed that. Well, I've, I've gone uh, actually for a, a smaller dish of prawn crackers and a black coffee, actually. Lovely. The prawn cracker is the, the national cracker of Luxembourg. I see... Is it I indeed? What, and is it living up to expectations? Mm, yeah, wonderful. It's got a it's got a tang to it. They're crunchy, not too damp. Uh, although I must say, I, I do like a second day prawn cracker from time to time. Now, tell me all about this. You make a podcast called Crowley Time. Yes, I do. Full title: Crowley Time with me, Tom Crowley. Just to make it clear, uh, who the I uh, speaking is throughout the program, and it's me, Tom Crowley. Yes, I do. Uh, it's a sketch comedy podcast. I describe it as consisting of uh, sketches, characters and messages in bottles uh, found on unknown shores uh, and uh, or, or something like that. You have to check the iTunes description if you want to, to verify that. But yeah, it was it's a mental scrapbook more than anything else of things that have occurred to me. And given that I, you know, after my time at Sandhurst, my comedy education began in sketch comedy. I think that's uh, that's the natural language that I operate in. I also think that there's something inherently about a scrapbook that lends itself to sketches. Uh, although in a normal sketch show, most of the sketches aren't seven minutes long and most of them have sort of clear beginnings, middles and endings. Now I want to pick you up on this, this metaphor of the scrapbook. I think that's very interesting because as long as I've known you, you've always been um, a scrapbooker, a sketchbooker. You've always, you've always had a rather nice book and is it always the same pens that you go for? Oh, uh, physical books, yes. Well, I always have... I know a lot of people uh, who... Lots of very brilliant, brilliant people with no criminal records who keep um, multiple notebooks at a given time and often each notebook will be dedicated to a specific project, a script they're writing or or something. Uh, Or even practical things like, you know, if they're looking into mortgages or if they're uh, trying to sort out their taxes, they'll have separate notebooks for all these things. But I've always had one book... Usually a sort of, not always like a moleskin, but as a, that size of book with a hard cover, ideally. And I like the fact that it, it's more of an anthropological journal of, of my life, broken up into arbitrary chunks whenever I finish a book. And uh, so everything's in there. Every sort of major scripted project I'm working on, every bit of kind of, you know, career management, you know, such as it is. Uh, and also even week planners. Lately I've been making week planners not weak as in feeble, weak as in the week of the in the <laughs> calendar. Terrible plan. Dreadful. My awful plans go in my weak, weak planner, and uh, and so yeah, I like the idea. I don't know why. I like the idea. I also I doodle and I do cartoons and I draw, so it's always I've always had sketchbooks of some sort or other, and I've I don't know. I've always sort of liked the idea that you just start your book and then you fill it up with whatever's happening to you at a given time, and then you finish it and you put it away, and that's you know a year or two years of your life in that book. So is it too much to draw a direct parallel between Crowley Time, the podcast, and, uh, and your notebooks? Yes. Good. 
No, I don't know. I, I think that maybe that that does inform the thinking. I think it comes from a similar place, which is I forget now. I think it was um, it was Brad Bird working on The Incredibles, the Pixar movie, but he used a phrase uh, which I think was the mantra of the the production of that film, which was uh, using every part of the buffalo. You know, taking a sort of cue from the Native American kind of uh, adage that you you don't waste any part of the buffalo if you get one because they 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 have so much rich beneficial gifts to give. And um, in that sense, I suppose it's like in a book, sort of every corner of it's going to get filled up with something. And it's nice to kind of pack it full of different ideas and to flesh out every idea you have in a little way, in a little corner of a book. But in, in, the, in the case of Crowley time, I think, I've been thinking about this quite a lot recently. And I, I think the sort of the, 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 um, sorry, I'm losing a word. You can cut this out or leave it in. It's, it's verite. Um, the sort of adage, I guess, that guides Crowley time is is that every every bit of it should be funny, like the mm. the introductory host segment, the sign off at the end, the bits between sketches, uh, every bit mm. of the sketch, you know, without it being grating, like you know, massively changing track in the middle of an otherwise coherent sketch to suddenly do a different joke about hay bales or something. I don't know, like short mm. of that, every bit of it should be something funny, and I think that itself is also guided by some of my earliest influences like The Goon Show and certain like comic books. Like if you look at the comics of Evan Dorkin or Roger Langridge, uh, two Ameri- brilliant um, humour comic artists, Evan Dorkin's American and Roger Langridge is British but originally from New Zealand. And, and every single corner of a drawing will be packed with funny stuff, whether it's a background character or a little sort of caption uh, or just the expression on the characters' faces or the way they're posed. Every bit of it is funny. And that is a is a huge influence on me. And it's also like how in, in the pages of Mad Magazine you would see little Sergio Aragona's drawings in the margins of another comic. I think there's there's something... Sort of a, the amount of effort going into that, I think, is, is a massive inspiration. So structurally for you, the, the important thing is more fleshing out the world than it is... I think it's very interesting that that you don't immediately talk about the narrative through arc and you don't immediately talk about three acts or five act structures or, or, or whatever there it really is uh, it, it's a kind of um, block universe globe approach to creation well there is to Crowley time I think in most other things I think in most other things like a longer scripted project I think I would normally know it just enough about the world to be able to write the thing. Like, I know some people... It's it's the sort of George R. R. Martin thing, isn't it? That, you know, you need to know what the economic system of the far corner of the map of your story is before you can write word one. I'm not like that at all. I think I do... I am a fan of structure. I'm a fan of... Like, some writers do... I was just speaking to someone about this recently, actually, but some writers do vomit drafts where, you know, not one piece of the structure or not one character or not one word will make it into a final draft. I have never, ever done that in my life because I simply couldn't start if, if I was trying to do that. Because I do need to know where the story's going, and I do need to know, at least on a fundamental level, who the characters are before I begin. But then again, also, I, I don't need to know what their stepfather did for a living 20 years ago to do that. But um, in the terms of Crowley time, it's, it's far more stream of consciousness. And also, you know, it's only recently that a few episodes have begun to have an internal structure or uh, to have callbacks. You know, returning characters has been a thing from very early on because it's, you know, it's, it's nice to go back to wells that still have water in them. But, you know, <laughs> but um, 
in terms of it having a grand arc or a planet, it doesn't at all. Like for the most part, it's just um, whatever things I thought of that I liked enough to work this much on them that given month. So what was the genesis? Can you pinpoint one point in time when there was not an embryonic growly time and then suddenly there was? Sort of. I think, well, as, as you well know, Felix, I, I used to run a theatre company called Crowley & Co. And as part of doing that, well, there are two things, really. Like, well, this one, was extracurricular at Sandhurst. Uh, extra, uh, of course. Um, used to put on shows for the boys, keep everyone happy, you know. And You played the trumpet. Uh, I did. I played the trumpet, usually to mask the screams of the emergency amputations next door. But that was, you know, that was sort of necessity rather than, um, you know, design. Uh, but yeah, so I, I was playing the trumpet and uh, I got the idea to put together a theatre company in the Fringe Theatres of London. And um, one thing I did along that, that time, and this is something I've often done, uh, I think, and, and is a bit of a theme, is is creating a, a platform where I can feature my own work and also elevate the work of others and then forget to put my own work in it enough. So I did a thing, a, a free giveaway, uh, one sheet, uh, like newspaper magazine called The Paper, which was kind of designed to, to both sort of foreground the work of loads of brilliant creative people I knew and also serve as advertising for the productions I was putting on. And it was a great idea except for distribution because there's a reason that you know newspapers and magazines have professional distribution companies who, who they pay lots of money to to get their uh, newspapers and magazines into news agents. And that's because it's really, really hard to travel all around even one city dropping off loads of copies that you've hand-folded up yourself of a paper. But anyway, so that, that was a modular piece of work where each sort of square of this A3 sheet folded down had something different on it. And it would be a comic or it would be a short story or a poem or something, anything. And I really enjoyed doing it. It took quite a lot of work, but I got quite quick at doing it. But as I say, like it didn't actually advance my own creative efforts in the slightest because I was spending too long curating it uh, to actually make anything for it, which was foolish as someone who uh, wants to be a writer and actor professionally. Uh, so I stopped doing that after a while. I think it was after we had worked uh, on a production together at the Old Red Lion of your one-man play, Radio Man, which I uh, directed and produced, and um, you performed magnificently. And I did a tie-in edition for that, which served as a kind of flyer plus for Radio Man. And it was beautiful, and it was great, and I think it just the amount of time it was taking and, and how few copies I could actually get out to people turned me off doing it and um, the next thing I think which went into which went into um, inspiring Crowdly Time was a podcast called Story Etc which was another modular thing which was almost like the paper but you know in audio form and I worked on that with three amazing people I worked on it with Eleanor Rushton Jenny Redmond and Odin Hill Marson and that the premise of that was a podcast all about stories and fiction generally whether it's scripted or prose or, or you know comics whatever and uh, we would mix interviews with creative professionals. And I think our biggest gets were Margaret Atwood and Rihanna Pratchett uh, across that time. And M.R. Carey as well, Mike Carey was on it. And, um, and, and we never said we, we couldn't feature our own writing in it. But again, it was something where the effort of bringing everybody else in certainly meant that I wasn't contributing anything in terms of acting or writing myself and it was I, I did it for a, a year before I chickened out essentially and went I, I can't do this anymore and the reason I think I kept with it for that long was just that first it was wonderful working with Jenny Eleanor and Odin but also because I thought it was worth it in and of itself because I think it is really amazing like it's still out there you can still download it and I just thought the results were were great and each each installment served as a beautiful little 
portrait of, of a kind of storytelling creativity. So yeah, look, I mean, look that up. They're all out there. And I think uh, Jenny and Eleanor have been, um, Jenny, Jenny and Eleanor, I believe Jenny and Eleanor have still been releasing the odd bit of interview and, and certainly another episode or two since I stopped being involved. So it's worth checking it out. But anyway, so I think essentially after a lot of experimenting and, and a kind of bohemian uh, dabbling in loads of different creative fields and, and trying to collaborate as much as possible, I think I just decided that if I were ever to be any form of uh, creative professional, I sort of needed to show off my own work a bit more. And and that wasn't necessarily the, the sole impetus to start Crowley Time, but definitely I think I had learned enough about... I'd always loved sketch comedy, and I'd always sort of loved write, you know, performing my own work, you know, back when I was performing with the sketch group Sad Faces. That was during my time at Sandhurst, obviously. Uh, they were uh, fellow, other fellow cadets, and uh, we worked together uh, back there in my army days. Very unhappy cadets. Very unhappy cadets, very unhappy. Uh, constantly being prodded with bayonets, um, being put in those, those uh, sacks full of hay that people are used for, like, bayonet practice, that kind of thing. It was a dreadful time. Uh, Sad Faces was very much a name inflicted by the bullies. It was, yes. It was, it was something... Well, we, we gave the name to ourselves, but we didn't really have much choice because it was all we could think about um, by the, the bayonet-wielding bullies of, of Sandhurst. And, yeah, so, so sketch comedy's always, always been something I've adored. And also, I, I think I just... I think I had, like, a few things I wanted to do, and this seemed to kind of encapsulate all of them. And now that you mention this, I literally can't remember the first moment that I decided, I'm just going to do this, and it's just going to be me, and I'm just going to do it all myself. I cannot recall, um, which is unfortunate for the purposes of this interview. Uh, but I think it was, it, was a, it was a matter of me having been involved with you in the podcast sitcom Wooden Overcoats and getting more, uh, more work and also more experience of, um, of doing voice acting specifically uh and and radio stuff's been a sort of something i've done bits of throughout my life but i think it was doing more of that and and learning at the feet of john wakefield and andy goddard our producers and seeing how they made it sound so good and just getting a bit of an insight into the production angle as well as having more time to um uh, having more time to, to to spend time with audio engineering software and editing software I think that all, all played a part as well, just that my confidence in these different fields uh, built. And also, you know, we, we knew that we had something of a following online from off the back of Wooden Overcoats and also other sort of radio and podcast projects I've been involved with. So I thought, well, I mean, I, I think there was something quite cynical about it where I went, well, I can write and I can act and I can do comedy. And I don't really want to do uh, specifically stand-up comedy and I'm already writing scripts and things, but I don't much fancy making my own sitcom. So I thought, well, I'll do a kind of, you know, the equivalent of something like, you know, Kenny Everett would have done <laughs> if he were able to physically inhabit more than one character at a time, you know, and just do uh, a show that's just me. And I think there was something uh, sort of self-serving about it in, in hopefully a creatively healthy way where I went, you know what, I've spent years and years building platforms for other people to, to showcase themselves. So instead now... I'm going to build a platform that's entirely about me and every single second of it will be me demonstrating some sort of ability either as a, you know, a writer, uh, a, an actor or even like a sound engineer. <laughs> Has there been much result? I, I appreciate that it's a bit of a how long is a piece of string kind of question. But are you able to say this happened because of Crowley time or... It sounds 
like your career has been one of momentum rather than events. Yeah, that is an interesting way to put it. I think, yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, speaking about momentum, I think it's, I think that what it does, and this is, I think, just a good rule of thumb for anybody who wants to create their own TikToks or YouTube videos or podcasts or whatever, is having something out there that people can just grab. It just puts you further to the forefront of their mind. I was recording a a, a, a sitcom for Audible called The Temp, which was really funny, written by um, Steve Nelson and David Reed. And uh, Ed Morrish was the producer. And we were talking about podcasting, I forget uh, why, but this was sort of quite soon after I'd started releasing Crowley Time, and I knew Ed had sort of noticed that I was doing it. And I, I made some comment about, you know, podcasting and saying, oh, well, that's why I'm here, assuming that, you know, he'd, he'd been stirred to bring me on board via either Crowley Time or Wooden Overcoats or, or uh, the Victoriosity or one of the other shows I've just appeared in. And uh, he went, no, not true. And I said, well, why was it then? And he said, uh, BBC Four Extra. And uh, he was referring to a show that was one hour long. It was two half hours of sketch comedy that I recorded back in 2008 with, um, with my sketch buddies, with um, Toby Wilson, Jack Bernhardt and Rachel Lerman when we were the group Four Sad Faces back when we were called Four Sad Faces. And um, so he, in his mind, he remembered me from that, you know, from what must have been 10 years earlier. And that's why he thought of me to bring me in. And I, I sort of feel like I'd almost dispute that. I'd almost say, that's why you know who I am or why you first knew who I am. I think that the more recent stuff I'd done with podcasting had more to do with the active decision to, to bring me in for this specific project. And I think that is the case with so many other uh, creative careers as well that you know there are things people associate you with I'm amazed by how many people particularly in the comedy industry still think of me as Tom from Sad Faces uh, or specifically Tom from Four Sad Faces which is a name we hadn't used since 2011 uh, but I think it's that people they maybe associate that with you because they remember seeing you in Edinburgh or they remember hearing about you you know doing some radio stuff uh, and, and maybe that's the thing that will, will stick to you like glue. But the reason that they thought of you that day is because they saw your name in the last week. You know, and I think that, that is, that's the real benefit of, of self-generating material. It's interesting what you say, momentum rather than events. Yeah, there hasn't been a giant break that suddenly sent me off down a certain path. If there was, it was, it was that early work at the BBC, uh, working with producer Victoria Lloyd and, and working with Four Sad Faces on on that show. I think that that's the only event event that's really turned me down a certain path. Fascinating. Well, we are going to play uh, a sketch that you have written for the next episode of Crowley Time with you, Tom Crowley, with you, Tom Crowley, um, which I've collaborated on. You're doing a Quid Pro Euro Crowley Time mashup special. That's right, episode 14 is going to be exactly that, yes. Can you tell us when it will be released? Uh, well, all being well and no delays happening, it should be out at the end of November. So End of November. So uh, that would be, while well, I check my phone calendar, that would be... Uh, that would be Friday the 27th of November. And if it hasn't come out by then, it's because I've got too busy, but it will be out shortly after then. <laughs> well, do look out for that. Um, this next one, I had an awful lot of fun uh, performing with you and writing with you. But it was this a joy to. You've... It was a joy to get yes. to write it for you. Was, uh, was what <laughs> I was going to say. This one, uh, I'm very happy that we're playing this one because this one is all you from the writing, and I want people to get a flavour of what they are going to be getting 
in a regular episode of Crowley Time. Tom Crowley, thank you very much. De rien. Well, I can't believe it, Mary. We're finally here. Europe. Oh, Roy, it's so beautiful, and everybody speaks English. Boy, look at that church. It must be at least 60 years old. Oh, no, 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 my friend. I must correct you there. That is a cathedral of St. Cecilia. It is over 500 years old. Wow! But who are you, kindly stranger? My, I am Patrice, conductor 72 of the Union, here to welcome you to your new life in Europe. Well, how decent of you. That's what they're like here, Roy. They prize decency and politeness and culture. Gee, that sounds swell. Gosh, we could use some of that. We just couldn't stay in the States with all that division and fighting. Well, we are delighted to have you, monsieur, madame. But before we begin, I must ask, uh, are you sure you are ready for a great change? Are you ready to give up the land of the free, the home of the brave? We're Democrat voters from rural Oklahoma. Oh, you poor wretched people. Get on my Vespa. Oh! Now, uh, where in Europe would you like to settle? Well, France looks pretty good to me so far. Oh, golly, yes. Look at all the glorious landscapes and cultural centers. Not to mention the food and wine. What's going on over there? Oh, it is merely one of our nationalist protests. Your what? Uh, but do not worry. The nationalist protest is being overtaken by the Gilets Jaunes. Well, that's not very je ne sais quoi's. Get us out of here! Tout à fait! Et voilà, Allemagne. Welcome to Germany. I like the look of all these sausages and beer. It's like Oktoberfest all year round. Boy. They sure had their problems back in the day, but I don't see any Nazis around here anymore. Well, you wouldn't see them, no. Pardon? Well, these days the German Nazis uh, hide among the everyday folk, you see. You mean we went to all that trouble fighting that big-ass war and there are still Nazis around here? Bien sûr. In fact, there are many more in the last few years since they were emboldened by uh, certain political developments in your own home country, monsieur. There were quite a few recently discovered among the North Rhine-Westphalia police force. Oh, Lord. Jeepers creepers, conductor. Couldn't you take a summer with no fascists at all? Get to inform monsieur that there is no such place. Oh, Roy. Maybe we should have just stayed at home. And spend another Thanksgiving looking at your uncle's MAGA hat? No thank you. Mr. Conductor, take us further north to, to one of those nice blonde countries. No rien, madame. Where's this now? Madame, Monsieur, welcome to Sweden. Oh, Sweden sounds good. Yeah, I heard they take in a whole heap of refugees. More than any other country in Europe. Yes, c'est vrai. And they absolutely despise them. Beg pardon? Maybe the rapid influx of immigrants was handled with great care and consideration by the government, and yet uh, still it has led to a sizable increase in support for... The Nazis? Right again. Bravo, madame. The far right in Sweden has greatly increased its influence in recent years. And, of course, because this is Sweden, they all look exactly like Eric Trump. Oh, this is just awful. Where else can we go? Poland? Very homophobic. Lithuania? Highest suicide rate in Europe. England, then. Uh, now, that is one place I will not take you. 
Because it's leaving the European Union? No, because it is shit. Have you seen their food? None of them can dance. Look, buddy, we came over here expecting enlightened attitudes, a rich culture, maybe a fancy plate of cheese or two. Why is that, hmm? Well, what do you mean? What, do you assume that's what you find here? Is it because really at your very core, you have no idea what all what happens in Europe? Well, I don't know about that. No, you watch your Aristocats a couple of times and you think you've basically got the size of it, huh? You switch over the television when CNN spares five seconds to discuss the Eurozone crisis uh, because you imagine it is some jolly escapade involving a dog in a hat. N'est-ce pas? Well... Uh... You really think you had an adequate understanding of the realities of life in Europe? With the closest thing you've seen to Frenchman is Kevin Klein. Gee, sorry, Mr. Conductor. Here we thought we were enlightened citizens of the world, but we barely even ever looked past our front lawn. Ain't there no place here for a, a couple of well-meaning folks who just want a little kindness and understanding? Hmm. Well, since you ask, there is one place that would suit you. Where? Oh, it is a place of equality and harmony. A place of abundance and comfort. It is not unlike a paradise. Please, please, Mr. Conductor, take us to this place. Allons-y, madame. My God, he was right. It's so beautiful. Monsieur, madame, welcome to Ikea. All this space. All the choice. We could sleep in a different bed every night. Look at these cute little pencils. My lunch is a, a bowl of creamy meat. It's like, well, it, it's just like Ikea back home. And how? It's perfect, Mr. Conductor. Ah, for me, madame. But can we really live here? Absolutely, madame. Simply hide yourselves in a wardrobe and closing time comes and the place will be yours once the staff have all gone home. Uh, but I must warn you, the toilets on the shop floor are not connected. Oh, honey, look. We're home. Thank God. But, Mr. Conductor, how can we ever repay you? Don't you, madame. Just watch a film with subtitles someday. Oh, we will. We will. I want to go in the ball pit. Me first. Well, I'll race you. Well, you better hurry then. très <laughs> gentil. Guten Tag, Conductor 72. Ah, Conductor 89. Busy day? A uh, couple of Americans. Did you dump them in Ikea? Where else? <laughs> Thanks to Tom Crowley for letting me know all about how he works and letting me play a sketch of his at the end of the episode. And for letting me be on it. That was a lot of fun to record. You can subscribe to Crowley Time in all the usual places. And I very much recommend that you do so. I really enjoyed doing this, but I'm interested in knowing what you thought. Is it useful or interesting to you to find out about other shows in this way? Drop me a line to let me know. We'll be back on the 9th with your regularly scheduled episode of Quid Pro Euro. See you then. Bye.